2: Hi, I'm Ross Kemp. Over the last 18 years, I've made some 90-odd documentaries, predominantly in hostile environments, from Afghanistan to Syria, from El Salvador to the Congo. And it's fair to say that during that time, I found myself in a few interesting situations. i have been shot at, tear gassed, had knives pulled on me and spears thrown at me but in all those years what's impressed me the most is the resilience of the human spirit our ability no matter where we're from to overcome and make it through to the other side so in my new series the kemp cast i'll be talking to some incredible individuals who all have engaging stories to tell and have themselves overcome some extremely tough moments in their lives right now we're living in unprecedented times and we should be doing all we can together to get through this as safely as possible. I hope that if you subscribe to the KempCast and hear how my guests overcame their toughest moments, it may help you overcome yours, whether you're going through one right now or you're faced with one in the future. Joining me today is British racing hero and occasional villain, Jason Plato. He is a two-time winning BTCC champion, and he also holds the record for the most overall race wins in the competition. He is quite a character. I hope you enjoy the show. Jason Plato, thank you for joining us. Oh, mate, you're welcome. It's good to be here. How are you? Mate, um, clearly you're not going to plug your book, are you? No, um, no, 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 no. How not to be a professional racing driver? <laughs> I mean... I'm going to do a quote straight away. I drink and I smoke and I shouldn't. My mantra has always been, if you're going to get wet, you may as well go swimming. So is that basically go hard or go home?
1: Yeah, I suppose you could say that. I mean, I've always kind of been that way, you know, even even at school when I was a kid, if I did anything, I did it, you know, 100%, whether that was good things or bad things. Or you know, it's just you know if you're going to do something, then do then then execute and do it to the best you possibly can, regardless of whatever it is. And sometimes that bites you, and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, that's that's kind of I mean that is my mantra. You know, if you are going to get wet, then then why not go swim
0: swimming?
2: And then and then has that been your mentality as you say when you when you've
1: raced? Yeah, I mean, you you know my my. My kind of racing character, if you like, uh, was born out of you know. I started racing when I was 11 years old in karting, and prior to that, you know, my heroes were were James Hunt, Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, Probably Gilles was the 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 one person actually which really inspired me, and. And the way he went about his, you know, his racing, he was, he wanted to win at all costs. And, you know, second place was first loser. And he would just give everything. And I love that kind of style. And, you know, I was always taught by my mum and dad that, you know, we, neither of us agree. And I try to instill this into my kids as well. That, you know, there's that expression. You know, it's not the winning that that counts it's a taking part well that's utter bullshit in my book you know if you do something that's competitive you do it to win and you must be upset when you lose and that's kind of stayed with me all the way through both my you know my racing career and my tv career and business and you know that kind of attitude so that that's
2: something that was instilled in you do you think by your dad I mean here's a question for you do you think and your dad owned a garage up in the northeast, yeah, yeah. and um, uh, I, I, lo- I love the bit about, you know, the teachers excited about what car your dad was going to turn up and <laughs> drop you off at school really But, you know, had your dad not received that go-kart, racing go-kart, capable couple of 100 miles an hour,
0: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. as part of a, of a bad debt, yeah. do you think you would have ended up where you are?
1: That's a really good question. I think probably yes, actually, because we would have found, you know, we, we would have found karting. Um, so yeah I do, I do I do think I would have done because you know I can remember go, going to the, the you know the the 1976 British Grand Prix with my dad I can remember you know sat on his lap watching the Bathurst 1000 as a kid so motor racing and the love of it was very much a plato family thing so yeah I th- I think I you yeah, know I'd like to think we would have found, we would have found you know motorsport in some way or another yeah
2: and how important, um, to this day is that relationship between your mum and your dad?
1: Massively important. You know, I'm, 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 uh, I'm a very lucky lad actually in that, you know, they're both, to, they're still together. They're still my, bu- my buddies, you know, I, I can remember, uh, and it was when, when, when I first got my big break in 97, where I, I became a professional driver, if you like. And, uh, as a thank you for the endless support and remortgaging houses which they'd done and missed holidays and all those sorts of sacrifices made, I um I bought them a like a, a really luxury VIP two weeks in the Seychelles, and I remember you know I had a little envelope with some t- with all the tickets in. I gave it to my mum and dad, and she looked at it and then said, "Well, we can't go because it's not it's kill Race Weekend." <laughs> I'm and I, I, I guess what? I had to change it, and they've probably only missed maybe three or four races in all that time. I mean, it, they, you know, they even pitched up in Australia. I didn't know they were going to turn up, and I was walk, walking down the pit lane on a Thursday, and there they were. You know, they they, they love it, absolutely love it, we, we, which is great.
2: It became an obsession for them, as it did for you,
1: we, without a doubt. I mean, you know from the very early days, from, you know, age 11, 12 onwards, you know, my mum's dining room and her, her sideboard and her dresser in the dining room became our workshop. I mean, there was engines on the sideboard. And, uh, you know, there's a constant smell of fuel and oil in the house. But that's how we rolled, you know, we, we loved it. And, and the other interesting thing about karting was, we, we, you know, that's not unique. Everybody that does karting at a competitive level from an early age, all the mums and dads are like that. So, you know, we, we, every weekend we, we'd be, a, uh, you know, we could be in Somerset one weekend back uh, up to Yorkshire the next weekend racing almost every weekend. And there'd be this traveling little circus of all these same five families. And we are all like kindred spirits because we all did the same stuff. You know, everybody made sacrifices. Um, you know, mum was the, Team doctor, team cook. Dad was the engineer, the mechanic. Um, You know, our our dog used to come along to all the races. That's just how it rolled. And it's, you know, looking back, it was really special, actually. Really special.
2: You say about your mum, she took no shot from anyone. Was she also a bit of a negotiator on your behalf?
1: Oh, she was definitely, definitely uh, a very good mediator, I would say, between, you know, when tempers got flared between me and my dad. you know, about, uh, you know, maybe I messed up or crashed or did something wrong. You know, it's quite tense. And the competitive spirit is, is, is equally strong for both of us. Often she'd be in the middle trying to calm it down.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and there again, Jason, that, that I, I will not lose, I will win at any cost. Do you think that's inherited then?
1: Yeah, I think it probably is, actually. I think it probably is. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, I think there's a mindset. Um, You know, my dad's intensely competitive in everything. Um, uh, So, yeah, I think it probably is, you know, but but then again, you know, my my, my mum, while she's, you know, she's delightful. She's lovely. Everybody loves her. But, it, you know, you'd be foolish to think she was a soft touch because actually underneath all that, boy, she's a strong, feisty lady. So I think actually a bit of both. Uh, yeah, so I do think it is, I do think that sort of character you're born with, with, with it. Yeah, there's great examples over the years of, of racing drivers of, the, say, the calibre and the natural talent as, say, Michael Schumacher versus Damon Hill. And da- da- Damon's a good pal of mine, and he won't mind me expressing this opinion. And that is that Michael was born with an insane amount of natural ability. And Damon, not quite as much. But Damon, through application and focus and joining all the pieces together, became world champion and beat Mark Michael. But I think the difference was Ma- Michael could drive a car with 50% of his brain or is 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 bandwidth being used only fifty percent, and the rest you could think about strategy and all all the other things? Where Damon was using all of his. So I do think you are you are born with, you know, traits, characters, and I think you know, mine served me well in motorsport. I think.
2: Well, it does. The the, the facts uh, bear that out. You've had five hundred ninety nine starts. Well, uh, uh, these are the stats I've got. You've had ninety seven wins. So that averages out to like in every race that you took part in you won one in six which is is a record is a world record right uh
1: yeah 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 it is yeah yeah
2: so so if no one else has
1: beaten that and it doesn't look do you reckon anyone will ever beat that kind of record well, maybe but i mean you know we, we we can sit cast our mind back say six or seven eight years and you would say that michael schumacher's record in formula one was completely untouchable <laughs> and and now you know the 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 the, the amazing driver that Lewis Hamilton is he's going to eclipse that so of course it's possible it'll be it'll it'll take some do dirt, dirt you know it'll take some dirt But one thing for sure is if anyone does be beat it then they deserve it
2: <laughs> well exact but also the thing is is that that, that that certain Formula One drivers um will be associated with a certain team that produce an impeccable car you have moved around a bit haven't you you can't play, you can't say. Oh, it was. Oh, that that Jason. It was a bit lucky because he was just in with, he was just in with Mercedes at the right time, or in with Ferrari or McLaren. Yeah. you Can you actually remember how many teams you've raced for?
1: Uh let's have a look. Renault, Vauxhall, Seat, Chevrolet. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably eight, eight, eight or so teams. But you know, that's a career which has been non-stop, really, apart from two years since seven you know one of the things i'm most proud of r- rather than just the number you know the number of wins but one of the things i'm most proud of is you know I- i've won with every b- body that I've-, I- I've worked with and i've generally been a- been able to turn a good car or, or to turn a, you know a, a car where it will be good bad, or definitely into a good car and then into a wi- wi- winning car and I- you know i'm really pr- proud of that really proud
2: tell me about the relationship between a driver and a car um, do you know the minute you sit in that car, oh, we've got to work on this, the moment you sit down, do you know what, you and I, this is a love affair, this is a match made in heaven, can you tell immediately, does it come on the first bend? How do you get, what, what, what is it about a car that you instantly recognise as being good or bad?
1: Well, firstly, you do know, you know straight away. And... Um... And, and, and that knowledge, you you learn that over the years. So the more you you, you know, the more experience you are, the more you can you can spot that that really great feeling you have in a car, or the potential that there is in the car. You can feel you can feel, feel feel that more easily if you like. But you know, probably the most important thing is you know that it's not just the car and me. There's a there's a link between the two. And that is, you know, your race engineer. And he's the guy who um, really understands the engineering and the technical aspects of the car. But also he's the guy which really understands what I'm, what I want from it. So he's kind of like the interpreter. He can, you know, understand what, what, what I need to make me go faster what I need to make me not only go faster, but look after the tires and all these other things. He's the person who can decipher that and think, right, okay, let's, let's change this on the car. And the changes we make are minuscule, you know, a two or three millimeter increase in rear ride height can completely change the feel of the car completely. And there's a hundred and one other things we can do. And, 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 And that's one of the really interesting and fun parts, actually, which is learning to to work with the engineer to to tune the car, because it's not just one thing you change. You'll change. You'll need to change maybe three or four things together to make that one thing that you're trying to find improve. So you know, let's say you'll get, you know, you've got a little bit of, you've got too much mid-corner understeer at say corners one, four, and five and corners four and five are the really important corners, you might have to mess up the settings so that corners two and seven are slightly detuned, but then you make the gains in, 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 the, in the crucial corner. So everything's a compromise. And of course, you know the, the temperature goes up one degree, track temp- temperature, car changes again. So you're constantly tickling the thing. And that's really great. That's that's really enjoyable. Can be quite frustrating if you go down a you know down down down, down a rat- rabbit hole, a, a wrong rat- rabbit hole, because it can take a while to get back out of the thing. But yeah, the you know the detail and the 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 feel that you need to to get the car right on the edge is is amazing actually, because we're trying to find you know tenths, half a tenth a second. You know that can be the difference between pole position or, or,
2: or sixth. Let's talk about what it's like um, uh, sitting in that car on the grid. Let's talk about, about you and what goes through your head.
1: This is quite interesting because this is something which from my very early days I've worked on and tried to refine to improve my performance. In the early days, I would most certainly go into the zone, wind myself up, lock myself away in my thoughts, and I found that the, the result was you know when the when the when the lights went out and races on, I was a bit too fired up. I was a bit too punchy. And that would sometimes make me a bit over-aggressive in the opening laps. Why, she do need some aggression, it, I just found that if if I if I wound myself up too much then I was a bit too punchy and, and over the years I've actually gone the other way now and I found that by not allowing myself to get caught up in the moment and to have a crack on the radio with the, with the engineers and the mechanics and to keep them up and buoyant and, and just have a giggle to try and almost tune myself away from what's about to happen. Um, and I, 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 that worked for me because as soon as the door shut and it was time to go on your on your parade lap the lap where you come to the grid that was enough time for me to activate myself and to turn on
2: so basically you're overadrenalizing yourself when you locked yourself into yourself yeah absolutely
1: absolutely and everybody's di- different you know I, I i see other drivers um have very, a very different routine to me some i guess are like me but i think in that crucial moment um you know like it's it's exactly that you do over yourself
2: I mean for people who don't
1: understand uh, the British
2: touring uh cars, just give us an idea of how powerful they are
1: well do you know what stats alone in the modern day they're not that spectacular if you just read a piece of paper yeah they've got four hundred horsepower majority of front wheel drive um, they're all saloon car based um they kind of look like the car you can buy on a, on a, on a Monday. And, but underneath the shell, everything's gone. It doesn't resemble the road car at all. It's basically a, it's basically a racing car built within a road car shell. Um, they're two litre, quite heavily restricted in terms of what you can do to the car to try and make the racing as close and as even as possible. You know, we, we, you know, we have things like success ballast so you do well they make your car heavier and that's to try and equalize the grid so that the racing's close intense and
2: so, so they put weights that was one thing i did a little bit of uh racing uh, working with the team for jordan um right. eddie yeah yeah they put planks of wood under formula one cars yes what's the b- They're trying to make it the fastest thing to go around the track and all of a sudden you're going a bit too fast we'll throw some wood under your car i mean <laughs> Yeah. So they 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 penalise you if you're too quick to make sure that there's it's a fair competition, which goes totally against winning, which is what you're all about. They they add weight to your vehicle. Is that right?
1: Uh, yes, and they can you know, and it has been it's a handicap like like the handicap of course. Absolutely, exactly like a handicap. But also, it wasn't that long ago where you you'd do well. Not only would they put weight weight on, but they'd turn your engine down as well, so you'd have less power than. And, and this has caused lots of controversy. Uh, you know, I was what, one, one of the most outspoken about that nonsensical idea that, you know, go slow, get more power. Really? Anyway, but in the round, it works because it makes it very close. You know, the weights change on each race. So if you win the first race, uh, well, let's say you're leading the chat championship, you get to the next race. For qualifying, you have to put 50 kilos of lead in your car and carry that for the first race. And then the finishing order of the first race, determines a your start position for race two but of course then all the weights reset and then just to throw a curveball in the third race of the day is a reverse grid draw so you, you know let's say you win race two you can start 10th for race one for, for race three so it mixes it up which is great because it means you've got to learn to race and you've got to you've
2: got the fastest car you can't always you can't guarantee
1: a pole right absolutely absolutely and that's why it's it's such an interesting game and that's why it's you know, arguably, I should have had another four championship wins. Um, without a doubt. Two of those are just bad luck. Car, car broke when I was leading, all that sort of stuff. But probably another two championship losses, if you like, where I've come first loser, was <laughs> was um, me wanting to win every single race and not settling for a third I'm not settling in for a 4 i I'm playing the long game because that's not not the way I'm made up. That
2: strategy would have probably won you the championship overall.
1: Absolutely. I'm not I'm not programmed to play the percentages that I'll fourth so, all right. No, if the wind's on I won't have it. And that's why I've I've won almost double the amount of races of anybody else in history of BTCC. And and only two championship wins. I mean I should have had six. But hey oh <laughs> one One thing Jason,
2: obviously the Touring Car Championships reflect the cars that mere mortals like myself can go and buy.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, more and more cars uh, are becoming electric. Do you foresee a time when the Touring Car
1: Championships will be electric? Uh, that's an interesting question. Do you know what? Until recently, I was... Uh, I, I mean, I'm not into the electric game at all until recently, but I've changed my mind actually, and I, and I think there will become a time, and it's a, it's a sensible idea where we we will all be driving some sort of zero emission car, whether it be electric or hydrogen fuel cell or whatever. And the current offerings of electric cars, you know, if you if you look at what Tesla are do, doing, with, um, and then if you look at what Porsche are doing with the Taycan. I mean, they're amazing bits of kit that those guys have got. But I think there will always be a place for internal combustion engine motorsport, or always. I think, and and, and there are now electric-only motorsport. You've got Formula E, which is a little single C-seater, a bit like a Formula 3 car, which is a global series. You have now got... Um, uh, e-extreme which is coming in a year and a half time which is a bit like a, a rally raid but electric only and also there is going to be a touring car series in Europe which is for electric vehicles and I think both can live alongside each other I mean in the British Touring Car Championship uh, in 2022 the regulation there's a regulation change where we have to run a, a um, an electric motor as well as a um, the the internal combustion engine, which will give us about 60 horsepower on a a button and that'll add a bit of strategy, you know, some greenish credentials Um, but I think I think both should exist and I think it'd be a sad, very sad day if we never hear proper racing car engines Very sad day. I mean everyone should drive a V8. End of. (coughs) Fan electric cars. (laughs)
2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. A couple of questions. One thing I say is, you know, the love and, and, and the diligence and, and just the dedication your parents gave to you in terms of traveling around, finding that car and becoming totally... Part of, of your future is fantastic. Is that option open to most kids? Can any can if, can any kid a kid born without dad who's got um, a garage can they make it a motorsport?
1: It's very difficult, and even more so now than it was in my day. I mean, so much more difficult now. And uh, why, why, Jason? It's just cost prohibitive. I mean, you know, motor racing is very expensive. Even at a karting le- level, you know, yes, you can go and buy a kart for, you know, a racing car and a few bits and bobs for a few grand. But once you want, once you want to start racing properly and, and you get involved in a championship, and you want to be competitive. You know, nowadays, you know, the kids are starting at nine, eight, nine years old. And by the time they're at the, the age I was when I started say 11, 12, if you want to be competing at a national level and we w- winning, it's a hundred grand a year. Yes. If you want to compete internationally, it's quarter of a million quid to you know that's to do, that's to be in with the best team and have the best equipment. Well, let's just go back to hundred grand. That's not a hundred grand because that's net. You have got to pay tax before you can get that hundred grand. So actually, it's two hundred grand. And then and then so what have you got left for? Housing, education, food is so expensive.
2: And the margins are so slim. You could be quite good. You could be very, very good. But if you're not in that half of the 1%, that was a a dream that not only ended in tears, it also broke you.
1: Absolutely. And there are so many examples of, you know, some great contemporaries of mine when I was, you know, before I got my big break. I mean, some really very, very... Stylish, good racing drivers, very gifted, uh, and nowhere to be seen because they just ran out of cash, and uh, and that's such a shame. But you know, I guess you can say that about all sorts of things. It, you know, it's very hard to get to the top in anything. But the, the one thing with motorsport is, it's so expensive, and you cannot, you cannot win in in a crap car.
2: And 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 it also makes it sorry as I say this, but it's slightly elitist, isn't it? It is elitist.
1: Not slightly, it's elitist. Um, but and, you know, talking about Lewis, you know, Lewis's dad, when they first started karting, had like three or four jobs um, and more just to pay for it. But if it wasn't for Ron, De- Ron De- Dennis from McLaren spotting Lewis at a very early age and, fi- and, and, and becoming his, his financier, we wouldn't have Lewis Hamilton had it not been for Ron. And so, you know, there might be up the road in Tesco stacking shelves. The best racing driver in the world, we'll never will never see, see him. Does that annoy you? Oh, it doesn't. It doesn't annoy me. But I, I I just you know I I see lots of areas where motorsport could actually reduce costs, but it never does. It only ends up getting more expensive and lots. You know. Although what I will say is British Touring Cars, when I got involved, was kind of like the what was called the super touring car heyday, where there was eight or nine manufacturers. Every driver on the grid was a professional driver. Most were Europeans. Everyone was getting paid. The budgets were enormous. You know, the the, the annual budget at w- Williams, excluding driver salaries, excluding engines, was circa 10, mil- 10 million quid and touring cars has done a brilliant job of evolving to drive those costs down so touring cars is a great example actually it can be done and a budget now is about a million quid to run to run a, you know a car properly well that's a huge reduction but it's still a million quid <laughs> but then again let, let's
2: talk about formula 1 very quickly i mean lewis basic is is around 40 million yeah. so he could run he could run 40 40- Themes should he should you feel like it. Um, you know, if you do make it in motorsport, you make it forever, don't you?
1: Uh for the for the very good guys, yes. You know, and there's 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 about I would say there's three or four tiers of quality in terms of drivers in F1. You know, you've got you've got Lewis, Vettel, although he's kind of come off the bubble a little bit now. Um, you know, you've had Schumacher, you've had Senna, you've had Alonso you know these these guys are really very very special. Then you've got the next tier down which is still very 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 good but just not quite that last little bit. And then you've got kind of the average driver let's call him that in Formula One terms and then you've got the the lad who's got a rich dad.
2: And, and that's the nice, case is it?
1: Yeah yeah you know I, I, uh, you know,
2: what about you then? What about you? Because there you are, you're canting, you're doing really well, you win a championship. What was it about you that didn't fit with F1 or F1 didn't fit with you?
1: Um, <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, back in the day when I was going through my single seater junior formula, so Formula Renault and then went to four Formula 3, uh, you know, on 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 kind of performance alone you know i was i was tipped as an as you know a star of the future for formula one, but we ran out of money at a very crucial time. We got into formula three and didn't really have the funds you know ducked and dived and made promises and and ultimately then couldn't come up with the 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 funds and and my my shot at f one vanished because once once a, once the snowball is gone off course. Very difficult to get it back on and also there wasn't back in those days there wasn't very many kind of like scholarship junior um, programs like there is now with Red Bull and Ferrari there wasn't those there was one which was the Marlborough program and um, amusingly or ironically probably being the only smoker of my era (laughs) I didn't get I was never picked up on the Marlboro program I think one of the reasons you was know, back in those days you had to be squeaky clean, and 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 not mavericky, and um, you know got to play play the play the game, not be too outspoken. Of course, that wasn't me, and um, you know I pro- I probably rubbed a few people up the wrong way.
2: But you also make a point that that also, even when you've been teaching people how to drive and you're looking up and coming proteges etc. Um, you've got to be more than just quick, uh, particularly in touring cars. You've got to have a personality. And, and I mean, you molded yourself as you say, I mean, it's Dick Dastardly, isn't it? I mean, I, and, and I know a, a bit of you, Jason, and I know that you are a charming, wonderful chap to be around apart from when you're playing tricks on people. But, um, is that you or is that, is that you playing a role? Is that you playing a role as part of the sponsorship deals? Because sponsorship is massively important. You know, your name is more famous than most touring car drivers. That's partly because of the way that you drive, but it's also partly because of your larger-than-life persona, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I learned a really valuable lesson early on in my career, and that was before I got my big break with with, with Williams. Uh, my, my single-seater career dried up. I, I wasn't racing. I didn't have any budget. And uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, I gave it one last push. And I was working uh, as a racing instructor at Silverstone. And, and one of the rules were, you don't approach corporate corporate clients. Anyway, I, I, I did. And it, and I got a great deal. And I, and I landed a, a sponsor in Swan National le- Leasing. Anyway, I started to... To look at getting my single seater career back online, and my friends at Renault UK, who had, you know, raced in my formative years with in Formula Renault, they they got on the phone and said, "Look, we're launching a, a new one-make series. You should be in this." And I, my initial reaction was, "No, I can't do one-make series. You know, if I go, I, I, there's no way I could win. In terms of if I go in and win, which I should do, everyone would what he should should do.' And if I, you know," If, if I don't win for whatever reason, then that's me burnt. I'm dead. Anyway, they turned around and they said, I, you should think about it because the winner of the series gets a test with Williams Renault in their touring car at the end of the year. And we know that Will Hoy, God bless him, uh, was, was what one of the drivers at Williams, was retiring or, or was leaving the team out of contract at the end of that year. Hmm. So I thought, right, there's a chance. Anyway. Won the won the championship, did the test with Williams, did a great job, was fast, all those sorts of things, and then went for an interview with Frank. And very shortly afterwards, got a letter from Frank saying, "Look, thanks. Um, there's no drive for, for you, and and you know, please don't be disheartened because actually there was never a drive for you because we need someone with profile. You you can do the job, but we need we, we we're going to go for an ex-four Formula One driver or something like that. And do you know what? That really hurt." Uh, but it was a great lesson because it, it proved to me that actually, yes, doing the right thing in the car is important, but actually that hasn't got me the drive. What, what lost me the drive was having no profile. But then I started to really think about that. So in answer to your question, have I egged it up? To a certain degree, yes, but I saw there was more notoriety. And uh, by being honest, I playing myself as a bit as a bit of a maverick and being a bit outspoken, and wearing stuff on my sleeve, and 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 not being you know, not 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 being a homogenised version of myself, just being a bit raw would serve me well. And do you know what? It, it has. Okay, it's 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 caused some issues along the way, obviously, but um, it works very well.
2: It clearly has, as you can say. Well, well look. Let's face it, both of us are po- are post-50 and we've both been um, been around for a bit now. Um, <laughs> I don't remember ever, though, stealing a JCB on the Monaco racetrack. Well, I
1: didn't, uh, see, I know, I, I didn't steal it, I just borrowed it for a few se- seconds and started it up. But yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a great moment. I mean, funny now to look back, but, you know, I was walking back from from the boozer with a couple of pals and because, you know, no one locks anything up in Monaco. The keys were in it, and I thought, hey, I've never driven a JCP. <laughs> so I turned on started to move forward, was moving the, you know, the arm around, and the next thing, the gendarmes had me out and locked up in Nick. <laughs> did they see
2: any of the funny side of it, or were you... Uh... You
1: know, they, they were okay. That They were fine. I mean, I did say, look, there's no point, there's no point in locking me up here, because my, my apartment said, he went, no, 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 you don't understand you're nicked you, you need to sleep in the cell for the night and then the amazing thing is uh it's all quite nice actually you know they bring you some coffee and a croissant in the morning but then they said um i said well look yeah i've served my time can i go and he, he brought a breath in i said no 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 he said no you can leave here when, when it's zero <laughs>
2: and what time did you actually leave then <laughs> two o'clock
1: <laughs> <laughs> but and then the funny thing is you, you then get an invoice you get a bill
2: for the croissant and the coffee? Well,
1: you're bored, you're bored in lo- lo- lodgings overnight. You get a bill, it was like 60 euros or something.
2: But um, again, that, that's something about you. That's you being very honest and being straight about the fact that you like a drink and you like cigarette and you go out and you have fun. And that's not something that we often see from many racing drivers. Again, it's about this automaton that is totally focused on one thing and that's going faster than any, anybody else, which you still have. But you've also created a larger-than-life character around that, which is is genuinely you. you. You are the man that sticks fireworks to the side uh, of people's caravans <laughs> while they're, a, they're prior to them, aren't you? Uh, it yeah. still mates with James Martin. Considering I saw the burns at the side of the uh, of the vehicle.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah it was, <laughs> what time in the morning went, was that? He'd what gone to bed morning? early. He'd, he'd gone to bed early, and we we. Well, like started, two o'clock, something like that. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> ridiculously early. Yeah, well that well, it was it was me, me and Adrian New Newie actually who got got ourselves into a firework fetish. <laughs> Mate, um, look
2: you you're not racing this season. Um you're putting it on hold yeah from what I read and what I understand. You, you determine you're gonna go back next season, yeah?
1: Oh absolutely I mean it, you know it, it was a very difficult choice to uh to do what we have done and that is you know obviously with the lockdown and this terrible virus everything stopped and it was very early on I remember you know we, we did the media day back in March and it was just starting to get a hold and it it, it was just it didn't feel right and I was concerned I so saw the, the championship was postponed um, and the, the plan was they were gonna start again in in, in August but there was only going to be nine events rather than ten, corporate hospitality was forbidden, so straight away the sponsors are going to be served something less than what they paid for, oh this was my thought process so I thought well hold on and let's just imagine we get going and then let's say one of the team members gets the virus so we then can't compete, sponsor then is more disappointed and then it ends in November. At best, they're going to be disappointed. At worst, they're going to be really upset. What What are the chances of them then coughing up or investing for a further season next year? And when, when I added all this up, I just thought, you know what? It doesn't. It's too risky. Too too risky to shortchange sponsors, and they're very very hard to get. So we spoke to them all, and they said, Do you know what? That's a great great idea. Let's just let, let's get the contracts cross the zero out and turn it from 2020 to 2021. So everybody's deals are still in play. We're there ready for next year. And you know what? You know, my motor racing, you know, it ends in each year, ends mid uh, October. We then do a couple of tests at the end of the year, just to kind of round off the year. Some of the things we learned, but couldn't really test. And then it stops until fair February, it starts again. So you've got that that those cold winter months to wind yourself up, get yourself really focused and ready. Of course, that, that didn't happen. And I just found, I got to June, and whilst, you know, once we'd taken this, the decision in end of March, April to stop, I was still kind of regretting it, thinking, oh, we've done the right thing. Once I got to June, I'm like, mate, th- this is... Such the right thing to do because I wasn't in the right frame of mind. The the thought of going racing next weekend doesn't sex me up now because I've not I've not gone through the process of getting in the groove. So actually, I've not been to any of the races this year. I've not. You not watched any, and
2: if you did, you think it would wind you up?
1: I've not watched anything. I have followed a little bit on social media just to say congrats to winners and all that sort of stuff, but I'm just not interested. You know, my mind is next year also you know lockdown's been you know but hey i can't complain at all because i'm a very lucky guy you know we, we we live in a nice place in oxford we've got a garden we've got a bit of money in the bank yada 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 it's been bloody awful for millions and millions of people and i just felt it it would be wrong to go out and put my hands in the air and go yeah we've won during this awful time and also the, the, the thought process of being away now when trying to get kids back to school, you know, we've just moved house. Me being in that motor racing zone probably would have led to divorce. Look,
2: you're not getting any younger and either am I. But, you know, I don't race a car around a track as fast as I possibly can. And if I don't do it that quick, I don't get a gig the next next year that's an immense amount of pressure to put on anyone but particularly as you get older because people are going to go oh he's getting slower because he's getting older or and all the pressure that that then heaps on you then refers into your personal life and you've got to juggle that as well so it's been a very difficult time with covid but it would may have been a bit difficult time without it how do you how do you deal with that the pressure because literally, you know, you are being, you know, you're as good as your last job, quite literally. Uh, but you're also probably risking your health, and you have been hurt in the past um, with vehicles. Um, you're risking your personal health. You're risking your future livelihood if you don't do the best you could possibly do and have a run of luck, because luck plays a part of it. But all that pressure comes back home, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I've had many... Uh discussion with Soph where you know over the years uh, Soph has turned around and said look you know you're you're here but you're not present and I'm like what are you you on about and whilst motor racing is you know we race on the weekends it, it consumes me and I'm consumed by it and I'm focused 24 hours a day on the thing and actually it's been quite it's been a quite eye-opener actually. This whole process of letting it go for a year, because actually I've learnt an awful lot about some of my fa- failings at, at home and how tricky I can be at times, and how focused and. I don't
2: think you're the only parent that's done that, but yeah, carry on. Give yeah, me yeah, some yeah, examples. Yeah, yeah,
1: to me, just just I'm I'm I'm. Um, I'm not as consumed by it, and and one of the important, one of the interesting things you mentioned about the age thing, um, is a few years ago I, um I basically created the Subaru Works program in the British Touring Car Championship. Got that deal, t- took it to a race team. My engineer basically designed the car, and it, and this was of of an idea. Me and a guy called Carl Foe, who is my long time ra- race engineer had in 2012 in a pub over lunch where we were looking at these new regulations which were coming in and we decided do you know what there's a there's a loop here there's a hole and if we can get a a package a subaru boxster engine in rear wheel drive it's going to be a world beat beater problem is we just signed a three-year deal with another manufacturer so once we had all this I- these ideas, we then had to quickly bury them all and, and just kept, keep our fingers crossed that no one else had these thoughts. Well, catapult forward four years, no one did. So we got we we, we created this this deal, and it was amazing. It was groundbreaking. The car was stunning, and um, you know, in my, in my first year with the car, and this was now going back to rear wheel drive, which I've not raced for many many years. Um, yeah, it's fair to say I I, I wasn't quite on the ball, and my teammate was, you know, regarded as the best rear-wheel drive touring car driver around, a guy called Colin tur- Turkinson and at the beginning of the year, he was a bit quick quicker than me, but towards the end, we were nip, nip and tuck, and then something weird happened, then a, a, a very, you know, a, a precocious talent, brilliant young driver, got uh, replaced Colin, and his manager owned the team, or his the team owner also was his manager and it just got a bit odd. I had a, a th- my, my car stopped working the way it should do uh, and my performance just went off a cliff and it was, you know, uh, uh, my, my engineer was taken away from me and I'd never been in that situation before and I know what was going on, but that was the first time I'd ever been uncompetitive in my life, but it was also when I turned 50 and of course, the, it Now, inbound comes the flack from social media, fans, competitors, the industry. And I'm like, no, no, it's not, that. it's not. But it, it was a very, very, very difficult time. But interestingly enough, you know, I, I learned a lot from that experience because actually when it all went wrong and I went, well, I, know, I can't, enough, and I walked So
2: this is, when, this is when you end up in the back of the grid for the first time in your professional career, is that right? Absolutely,
1: absolutely, yeah. Ever, first time ever. Since ever putting put a serum in my house.
2: Since you were putting in a car?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's never happened before. This was it. And it was like week in, week out. And I'm like, this is not right. And, and what's more is, I, n- I know deep down inside, it's not, it's not me. I know that. So I'll tell you what was really great was, the, the, you know, at the end of, uh, where are we? You know, a couple of years ago, at the end of that season, I knew, I literally, that was it. I'd had enough. Throwing the towel in, I'm like, I just that's it I think I'm done actually I think I'm done.
2: what would you have done at that point had you not gone back to, to touring cast
1: well I, I i I don't know i don't know probably more t v and a bit of business and but interesting enough i i um which was you know goes back to what I was saying about you know me being present but or there but not present in the room at home you know during that period it was pretty awful you know I was stressed i was Wound up, uh, and it was twenty four seven. And, and nevertheless, I lost. Um, I lost the ability to take any any kind of warning signs or feelings from my family because I was so consumed with this shit situation I was in and how could I get out of it? Anyway, I then got a new deal with a new team. Went out first race, bang, front front row. I'm back. That whole process was a very important lesson to me. Um, and that I was totally unaware, just the, the, the damage that I was doing to my personal relationships with my kids, with me and my wife, Sophie. And fortunately, you know, I recognised it soon enough that I could change it. And now I'm very aware of making sure that I'm not just in the room, but i leave my motor racing at the front door or if i need to conduct some business at home i go into an office or a study and don't don't you know walk around my open plan barn on the phone oozing stress and and winding everyone up so that whole process has been really interesting which has also made this whole lockdown thing really interesting you know I, Whilst it's been bloody awful, I've actually really enjoyed it in many ways. I'm, I'm bored now, I'm frustrated now. But early doors, it was quite refreshing actually to spend more time with my wife.
2: It helps, Jason. You're not the only one that's, that's been uh, accused of not being present. That happens in the camp household as well. Um, <laughs> generally generally around mealtime when I am, no, I, there's no TV on, the kids are eating their food, we're having a conversation and I am thinking, I need to go and talk to that person about that job because if that doesn't happen then this won't happen and if that doesn't happen then this can't happen. And and that, that's human nature. But I have also, under lockdown, reevaluated my relationship and you and you're not the only one. Yeah. Sir. But, you know, you're exactly, back, you're yeah. back now. But you're back now, Justin, right? You know, you you you're taking this year out and you're gonna come back. It has to end at some point, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yes, it does. You know, you know, one thing's for certain is, you know, each year I do get older. I'm 52. Um, Mm. And, you know, there will become a time when, you know, I'll probably lose a couple of tenths of a second just, I mean, I don't know because that hasn't happened, but at some point it's going to happen. But I think what will probably happen before then is I, I will, you know, the, the, absolute burning desire to get up in the morning and go motor racing that will diminish slightly and once that happens then i'll know that's enough
2: And well, what about the kind of the thing people say this to me about taking risks and having a family and getting older and and i use the analogy of something like this if you're going to tackle someone if you go in thinking you're going to get hurt you're going to get hurt you know um you know the, the mentality of doing what you do—you you have to go, as you say—you may leave it at the door, but you've got to make sure you pick it up when you leave that door, right?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, an interesting thing there was when you know it was the birth of my kids. um You know, quite a few people said, "Does that affect you what you like on the co- on, on the track?" When when now you've got some children, and actually, <laughs> it, it reinforced what it was like on the track. Interesting enough, it made me a bit slower on the roads so so you know i take i take less risks now non-motor racing risks um than i ever did but once you know it's like i was saying earlier once the helmet goes on the door gets shut and all fires up then then you you the switch gets flicked and you and you you switch into the racing driver mode and and that is almost trance-like so, so if the
2: older Jason was talking to the younger Jason now, would it be you need to flick that switch off a few times before you just leave it on all the time?
1: I think that's probably fair to say, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mate, uh, you've had a few. I mean, yeah. Look, talk about. Let's talk about.
2: Because there's one thing I want to talk to you about. Is Bernie Eccleston, right? Right. Because I used to live in Battersea and used to go up to the shops not to buy clothes, buy food and stuff like that, and get a coffee. Couldn't afford to buy <laughs> clothes up there, um, and I look rather daft in them anyway. But you used to see Bernie Eccleston walking up and down the King's Road, yeah. carrying a Waitrose bag on a regular basis. He's quite a distinguished gentleman, anyway, and. Um, a very wealthy and very important man that he is. Why
1: did you nearly kill him? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, right at the beginning of my touring car career with, with, with Williams Re- Renault. And it was literally my first year, and I was like the new puppy. Anything I could do, I'll, I'll do that. PR, oh, yeah, I'll do, do that. So I'm, I'm doing everything. So Nearly every day I'm at an Elf petrol station, I'm off to Renault, I'm doing stuff. And I was loving every minute of it. Anyway, I was doing, I was at a gig on Saturday night in London uh, and awards due, which I was then representing Renault. I had to collect an award for them or something like that. And then obviously went out, had a bit of fun. And then the following day, I had to go down to Ringwood, um, I'm sure it was Ringwood or Southampton, to go and do some stuff at a, a Renault dealership. So I'm leaving a bit early I'm slightly jaded from the night before, just tired, but I'm in me all in me kit you know, we branding me, me team kit and I'm driving down the king's road in me in me british racing green Renault Laguna v six and i'm do i'm tuning something on the radio or you know trying to get some you know a station and actually I look up and Bernie's on the zebra crossing and I jumped, I mean, I literally, I'm nearly through the winch key, and I stopped like that far away from him. And he's turned around turned around, and looked at him and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's burning. But had I gone for one more, one more station, I would have taken him out. Because I was doing 40, say, I would have killed him.
2: Do you think that had anything to do with your F1 uh, career?
1: <laughs> no, 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 not at all, but could you imagine what would have happened?
2: No, man. well, it would have been the end of the sponsorship deal, I guess. <laughs> Let's talk about cars that you've had, mate, because I, I love this, because this is, look, the, the VW Beetle was the yeah, car that true, I bought the
1: buggers I had.
2: I bought off my granddad. My granddad was in the Rimi during the Second World War, fought all the way through North Africa and recovered tanks off battlefields up into Italy. But that VW Beetle, even though it, oh, it was from Deutsche, was the love of his life. It was immaculate. He even had a check, he even had like a protection, like a stone guard over the front of the bonnet that was checkered. And he kept, <laughs> and I love that car. And I had that car, and I still, we still have a, a, v- a Beetle in the family Peugeot
1: 205, yeah, yeah, it's uh, a bra- GTI bra- 1.9 Belter
2: 1.9, beautiful. Remember, they had the 1.9, you had a 1.6, we had a 1.9, and they had to look li- at the side of the window, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 on the sea. Um, uh,
2: so. The Peugeot two hundred five to drive or the Integrale, the Delta. That was a beautiful car. I mean, it had the bled uh, arches,
1: didn't it? Yeah? yeah, and the two little round, like, round head, four little headlights. Like, yeah, I mean, that was a-, was a sexy car. I mean, it was that that car was mental. I mean, amazingly, you yeah, know, brilliant car. I mean, it, it died. I killed it. I Did it? didn't have it that long. Yeah, but the G, the GTI was the, the, that that was ace. But yeah, the death of the Integrale was a very very. Uh, Christ Almighty! It was a life changing moment that was.
2: But you've had Ferraris, you've had Porsches. Any particular favourite?
1: Uh do you know what? Over over the years, I, I've I've had lots of Porsches, and um, I, um that I, you know, that's that's my brand. That's for me, the nine hundred eleven is the best road car in the world. On, and if you. By look- but a bun on yeah i mean because you can use it it's a supercar you can use every day i mean you know i've had quite a few turbo s's and and just recently got rid rid of a really special turbo s and um i mean this this i mean you there is nothing faster from a to b with one eye closed with what one hand on the steering wheel there is nothing faster and they are rocket ships but they're comfy they're quiet everything works they don't drink fuel i mean i used to get 28 the gallon which sounds hideous but it's got 600 horsepower fantastic things and the other thing is people don't hate you in them if you drive a red Ferrari and drive it through London I mean I I was I've 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 had my car spat on just through driving it people a lot of people detest you in Ferraris or Lamborghinis in a Porsche no one cares because they all kind of look the same and there's lots of them around and you wouldn't unless you were a car enthusiast you wouldn't know the difference between one that's, say, 40 grand, and one that's, say, 200 grand. And, so it's
2: the people's car, but it's also the people's supercar.
1: Yeah. So I'd say that, you know, that's – for a car that I've owned and lived with, yeah, that's probably the best one. But, you know, my, again, a lucky guy. You know, all my work with – with uh, in the very early days, driven on Channel 4. Then uh, with, with, with Fifth Gear. God, I've got to – you know, I've been so lucky that I've driven – Pretty much most cars, and over the years, God, I've I've had to go in some really special, really special. Things.
2: Um, what about um, looking? I know you're not looking at what's going on um at the moment in terms of touring cars because you're you're focused on something else. But you will be going back to it. Um, you know, you look at the phenomenal success of Lewis Hamilton. Is there any other sort of driver out there at the moment, whether it be in in touring cars or Formula Three or or in Formula One, that you go, that's the next Lewis? Or is there anyone that the see actually in touring cars that you go, there's, there's my protégé, there's someone coming up that could possibly beat my record? Uh,
1: that's a really interesting question. Well, first off, the Formula One guys with Lewis. I mean, you know, we are witnessing um, in Lewis, probably the greatest racing driver that's ever lived, in my opinion. You what know, about people who say it's the car? Oh, it is. It, yes, he couldn't win without the car, but uh, he's still. He, I mean, he is really special. But you can say that about Senna. Senna started to win when he got into the McLaren. You can say that with Schumacher when he went to Ferrari, started to win. It, but you know, he 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 made, he made he's created that for himself. Yes, the car is amazing, but let's not forget he's had some quick teammates. But the way he drives, the way he the way he um, he can put a lap together, the way he races is is really very special. But we're very lucky in the UK. You know, I've worked, I'm a director of the British Racing Drivers Club who, who own and operate Silverstone. And there's a there's a big annual award called the, um, it's basically the BRDC Aston Martin Young Driver of the Year, uh, of the Year competition of which there's, I've been on the judging panel now for about 10 years and um we look at all of u k motorsport and also u k drivers who might be competing abroad, and we pick the best six of those drivers and they come to silverstone and then we put them through three days of intensive testing where they all get the same car at the same time we look at their lap times their their you know not just one lap but their hysteresis over a race run look at their fitness they get to drive all different sorts of cars and we pick one winner and over the years um, well the, the standouts so far who when when you know when, when the competition was on even day one you go Jesus Christ that kid's good The standouts are Lando Norris who won it four, four years ago and George Russell. And actually, although I won't I won't mention because he's not he's not he's not going to come through this yet. But last year's winner is really special. But Lando, God, that boy's good, you know. And he's got a great personality. He's fun. He's very focused. He's a brilliant racer. He could be he could be really special. So we're you know we're lucky in the UK. We've got some brilliant talents um, in in touring cars. You know, there's a guy who I mentioned before, Ash Sutton, who was, you know, a precocious teammate of mine who kind of blew me away, but didn't really. His style in in the car is very similar to my early days. Um, but can he go on to become one of the greats? I'm not sure because I don't think he's commercially astute enough. And you're not,
2: and you're not being Dick Dastardly here at
1: all. Then? No, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I think to have a long career in touring cars, you need to be pretty smart and cute and businesslike, and you need to be able to put different hats on. And whilst he can drive a car really great, and there's no disputing that, I don't think he's got these other elements you need to become a true great touring car champion.
0: I look, I
2: look forward to his response to that. Um, what about you? What about you? In civil life, when you're not on a racetrack, you're in a car, do people ever try and take you on
1: yeah 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 do they really yeah yeah,
2: yeah. What, is that, is, and what, and what happens and what happens
1: well, do you know do you know what it's it's normally it's normally say you're in a queue coming to a roundabout on an a road or something like that or some traffic lights and there'll be a, you know a, a a a car with a loud exhaust or whatnot next to you and obviously they're into cars I generally drive nice cars. They'll clock the car, then clock me because they probably see me on TV or stuff. And every now and then they come on, let's let's, you know, they, they want to have a, they want to have a go. And most times I just not in the mood. Um, but that there have been a couple of occasions when, when some very humorous things have happened. In fact, not far from you, you know, bottom of the, um, uh 408 at the m4 yeah that is it imagine you're coming up the m4 he- heading west and you want to turn off towards marlow
0: yeah
1: and you get to the traffic lights at the top where where you then join that big roundabout which is lo- like an oval isn't it
2: yeah <laughs> do that mate is that how you remember your races because you can remember do you remember? do you <laughs> actually remember and the cat's eyes are at that point only one metre and three centimetres apart, but oh, carry yeah, on.
1: Go. Absolutely, yeah, you have a photographic memory for these things. Anyway, I was, in a, I was in a Ferrari and then this, this, um, which actually wasn't my car, it was a press car, and it was about eight o'clock at night and I'd gone that way to go back to Oxford because the M40 was jammed up. But anyway, I'm then, I've got, well, the, the lights are on. Uh, I'm first at the lights, and there's a guy next to me, and I forget what he's doing. He's seen something like a Nissan GTR with an exhaust pipes that. that has yeah, yeah, experience. yeah. And he's, he's, it's popping and cracking, and he's kind of looked over, me, he's egged me on. And I thought, all right then, and off I've off, i shot. Well, I've got around the, 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 the kind of that bit of the the oval to go across the top, and he's lost it and put it in the fence. <laughs> And I've seen him in mid-road, he's literally come out, and just thrown it in the arm coat. So then I've, I've, I've done another lap. You've got to go round again. you got to got go, go round again, so just to stop and wind the window down. And uh, just to check he was all right. And he said, he said, mate, you're mental. <laughs> to me, just because I shot off so quick. And that was a particularly good moment. I did enjoy that.
2: Uh, what about racing people to pay for petrol? Is that part of the competitive Jason Plato that we know and love? so if i've heard that apparently when you're if someone Absolutely. you're filling up you're filling up you're filling up he's filling up you're looking at his dial he's looking at your dial the petrol cabs close at the same time oh, yes. the nozzle goes back into the machine and then it's a, a gentle mosey or is it slightly accelerated it's,
1: it's get to the door first no matter how <laughs> it looks honestly god doesn't matter how it looks if you know and it's never happened yet but you know it has happened that the person because they feel the vibe and i can see you get
2: the door and getting squeezed there yeah, like they're both. kind of
1: quickening their step up but no one's ever got gone into a little jog yet i've gone into a jog <laughs> yeah, like a soft jog just to get to the door but i do it in supermarkets if i if i can see someone uh, i mean i i used to obviously we don't anymore because we get it delivered because of the bloody virus but if i wanted to to get to that bloke on that till or that lady on that till i'd i'd make make a run for it
2: you can swing a trolley around an aisle basically you can tell mate what about look we're getting close to the end here now you've got your podcast out so how's that going
1: really great actually really great Enjoying yeah. it enjoy the process i do i've loved it i mean i know a lot of the the guys and girls anyway um and it's 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 just talking about stuff we love because it's about cars, you know. It's sponsored by Adrian Flux Insurance, my my long term sponsor, and and the interesting thing is, and I guess you'll well, let me ask you you you're the question: Have you found that I've even though I know most of these people and their pals, I've really found out a lot about them by doing a podcast, which ordinarily little gems you don't get to know about. Have you found
2: that? Absolutely. And also you find that a little bit about yourself as well, because one that you also work out is that a lot of us, we have, I mean, I can't compare my career to yours, very totally different kind of backgrounds, but there's often a lot of things that we, we do have in common and, and, and laughter is definitely one of them. Talking of that, now, if I tailgated you in in a Range Rover and then came me, would you give me the finger?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I know where this is going, and it is a gem of a story. And I mean, I, it, I still get that slightly clammy feeling. Just what, ra- were you in? what
2: were you You're going up the M4? You're driving a what?
1: I was in my Renault Laguna V6 off on another Renault d- event. Yeah, right, yeah. And it was early morning. It was on a Sunday. The roads were empty. And I'm doing 85, 90. Not flat out, just trying making progress because the roads are quiet. Anyway, I come across some guy, you know, overtaking the lorry in the outside lane and he's doing like 70. So I'm like, and I'm waiting patiently. And the next thing is a big Range Rover giving it the big flash behind And I'm like, no, no, no. I look, I'm I'm stuck as well. I'm I'm stuck. Just wait. And he's right on me and he's giving it the big flash and I'm, I Wasn't having that, so he got the big middle pedal brake test, and we oh, backs right off. Beam, I thought, right, that's you sorted, great. So then I'm like, I've pulled in, and I've, and, and and I've timed it in my head. so That when when as it's come alongside, I've then l- looked over and given it the big have that, only to see Prince Charles is in the passenger seat. His face went from kind of like looking at me, going to, Ooh. <laughs> don't see that every day. No, and then the outriders. Oh, I'm on the hard sh- shoulder, pulled out the car on the bot, like oh, hands down on the bot bonnet, being get- given a massive bo- bollocking. But I got away with it. <laughs> got away with
2: it. And you're still getting away with it. That's the and, whole point. you're yeah, you yeah. still with it. But
1: <laughs> interestingly enough, I, did, I met, I met um, Charles at Silverstone at one of the British Grand Prix and did ask him if he remembered that, and he said yes he did. <laughs> yes, because I know it happens to him every day, oh, I right, it does, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, Jason, I think last question. I mean, you know, as you say, it's sort of on hold for you at the moment until next season. But, as you say, there is possibly an end to it, but it's not in sight for you. And I don't think it's in your nature. To ever give in is it
1: no no it's not uh, no it's not but you know when the time is right it won't be me giving in it'll be me, deci- me deciding do you know what I'm done now I'm on to, to other things but you know the the thought of that seems so far away to where I am mentally at the moment would it? Would it? Would you think it would be in Would it be in racing, or would it be something
2: completely different?
1: I honestly don't know. Actually, I mean, at the moment, I struggle if I'm racing, uh, or, or you know, I struggle to go to a racetrack if I'm unless I'm there to race. I, I don't. I, I don't like it. Um, I just don't. I don't. I don't like to be at racetracks and not be doing something. So you know, a lot of people said, well, what about going to the team ownership or team management? And, and the, you know, my, my standard answer is, I can't imagine anything worse. Thanks. But when I decide racing stopped, and actually that might well change, actually, that might, that that mindset might change. Um, but I do, you know, a few years ago, I ran a, like a bursary pro- pro- program for young, uh, uh, up and coming drivers. <laughs> and in fact, we had so, some of the guys on the pro- program who've, a few years later became a right pain in the ass on the track. Got, like, like Tom Ingram, who, you know, me, 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 we've had some great races. Um, but I really quite enjoy that, actually. I quite like uh, the mentoring process. I quite like, you know, so me- maybe managing a driver or two, that, that could become interesting. I mean, who who knows? I mean, you know, I've got a marketing co- company. Um you know, might m- m- get more involved in that.
2: But while you're racing, that's what you're doing. You're racing. Until that changes, Jason, thank you very, very much. No, yeah, it's
1: pleasure. Pleasure.
2: Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Kemp Cast. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Kemp and on Instagram at Ross Kemp TV. This has been a freshwater and the Chance of Collective Production. Thanks to the team and one fine play. And until the next episode, goodbye.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.